Hey, welcome to the Jerry Gherkin Show, where we get our kicks out of watching people succeed. I'm your host, Jerry Gherkin, and that time is now. Today, my special guest is Andy Smith, University of Finley a men's soccer coach. And, uh, and you, you've been doing this thing for a long time. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, Jerry. So um, my understanding is you're going into your 32nd year at the university. Is that right? Yeah, I, I lost count a while back, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. Sounds about right. Yeah, so uh, when we were talking about doing this, um, I, I brought up an, a memory when I was uh, at the university back in the early 90s, and I was a sports med major, and I was actually assigned to the, the men's soccer team and uh, got to watch you in action. And one of the fondest memories I have is um, you're standing in the corner box, and you're teaching these guys how to kick the soccer ball and hook it right into the goal. I mean, you're like right – straight in front of you. It's like there's no angle. It's, your, it's straight in front of you. And you kick that ball, and it just went right inside. It was effortlessly. So that, that was one of my fondest memories. But right. Yeah, that, that was definitely back when I was in my prime. I don't think I could do that anymore. So <laughs> right. I've got the leg strength. <laughs> so how did you um, – so you're from England originally, correct? Yeah. Give me a yeah, little bit of background yeah, about how you, how you started out in soccer, and then you, you've evolved to uh, where you're at today. Well, I, I, I was in England. Obviously, I played uh, played in England, where it's the it's the biggest sport. Came over to the states to do a degree in geography at Oklahoma State, and there's not a lot of interest in soccer at Oklahoma State. And I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm you know never going to see a soccer ball again. But joined a club team, a lot of international guys at Oklahoma State, um, and became a player coach. Um, they started up a women's program shortly after I got there and I became the coach of that as well so I was a player coach for the the men's club team I was the coach for the women's club team um and at a certain point <laughs> you know what I can actually make a, a career out of this I'd never thought about it before so at the end of my time at Oklahoma State I went to Miami University uh, did a degree in uh, sports science and the emphasis was on coaching behavior um from there, uh, came up to Finley. There was a, a part-time job available, and uh, that turned into a full-time job. And then, as you said, 31, 32 years later, I'm still here. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you you played soccer from the age of five, or did you start in high school, or when when you started? Yeah, no, it's, it's growing up. You you know you it's like football or basketball or baseball over here. You grow up playing the game as a young kid and, um, you know, go on to, uh, you know, the, the club system is a lot bigger in, um, in Britain than it is over here. So if you're good at any sport, you play for a, for a club team versus your high school. We do have high school sports over there, but it's not as big as it is in the, in the US. So, you know, my, my background is, is uh, is playing as a as a youth and then continuing to play as I, you know, went into high school and college. Okay, and then you just you came over here by yourself. You didn't. There's no family with you. You just came over here on your own. No, I just yeah. There, there was a a buddy of mine. We went to the University of uh, Birmingham in England, and um, we were both studying geography and didn't really know what we exactly we wanted to do when we finished up. We were just kind of looking for experiences. And um, decided, well, you know, coming to the U.S., living in the U.S., 
living with Americans in a different culture, even though it's the same language, it's still a different culture. We thought it'd be a, a great experience. So he actually came over first and then a year later I came over. So, you know, I had someone who, you know, I, I could learn the ropes from. He, he'd already got over here, got an apartment, all that kind of thing. So I just kind of piggybacked on on that. And uh, my original plan was just to come over for a couple of years and have that experience and then spend the rest of my life back home in England. And it didn't didn't work out that way. Yep, yep. Now, do you get back to England much at all? I do, usually about once a year. Um, you know, my, my family's still back uh, back home. I still call it home, even though really my home is is here. So I try and get back once uh, once a year at least, usually at Christmas, occasionally in the summer. Um, and it and it's changed changed a lot. I mean, when I first uh, went back, it was um, you know I was really excited to to get back, and everything was completely different. But then after a a week or so, I was ready to come back to what I consider my real home in the in the states. So. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's been good. I mean, the world is a lot smaller now. When I started doing it 30 years ago, it was uh, more of a big deal to, to come out of the States or go back to England. And these days, it's a, it's a small world and it's not such a, a difference going back to England as, as it used to be. Once was, right? So what's, uh, what's your favorite part about being a coach? Well, it's... Um, you know, combining my hobby with a with a job, with a career. Um, you know, I, I love coming into work every day. It's I don't really don't see it as a job. Um, I think of myself as someone who's very lucky, as I'm sure a lot of coaches do. Um, you know, you're working with with young kids. keeps me keeps me young. When I started off, the players were a lot closer to to my age, and now. You know, generationally, I have to have a, a good assistant who's a lot closer to the sure. player days because he can relate to him a, a lot more. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's probably the big thing: just being involved with uh, with young people, a uh, sport that I enjoy. Um, you know, it's just just been a great a great opportunity. Uh, with COVID going on right now, what's what's some challenges you guys have? Well, I guess the biggest thing is just you know we we have not. Uh, played with with our players since uh, March, um, so you know I think, think the biggest thing is just kind of keeping connected with with the guys. We had half a semester where they weren't allowed to you know to do anything with the ball. Most of them went home, um, so we did you know quite a lot of Zoom meetings. We're still doing Zoom meetings, and that I guess. It's like anything when you get a time like this, which is a generally a sort of a negative, some sort of positives come out of it. One of them would be would be Zoom meetings. I mean, I, I love using Zoom. I think it's a great way to, you know, to connect. No, not not just calling someone up or emailing, but you know, you've got that visual connection as well. So that's probably the biggest thing we've done in this period of time is just uh, kept connected with our with our players and the incoming players as well, um, who we you know, probably have got to know a little bit more through Zoom than we would have if it was, right. you know, normal times. So, um, yeah, we haven't, haven't been able to do anything on the, on, the, on the field, nothing physical with them, but just for, you know, keeping everybody connected. That's, that's been the big thing that we've been doing the last few months. Yeah. So I had John Jeffire on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he's teaching high school up in Michigan. And he, and he kind of echoed the same thing in that um, – 
through this time that there's been an epiphany, if you will, of how that how we can actually teach and educate, and we don't have to be in the brick and mortar building um, for seven to eight hours a day every day. And then how some children are are kids that are in his classes are are um, actually excelling it with this platform as opposed to um, being in the classroom. And one example he used, and it made sense, was um, let's say you've got you're sitting in history class, and then all of a sudden you have this great idea for this English paper that you need to write. Well, you can't you can't hold the, put the history class on hold because you're in the, in the classroom. You start writing your your idea for your English paper because you're getting trouble. So he's like, but with this, they, if they get that, then they can pause the history and then work on the English and go back to it. So he he, he thinks that this might be. And he uses such big words. I can't remember what word he used, but it was, <laughs> it was above my head. Um, but anyway, he, he says that this might be like the tip of the iceberg that, of, of a way that we might change the way we educate people coming forward. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, that, I think that's a good point because generally we use a sort of a one-size-fits-all. We've always done that. And now we've been kind of forced to kind of think outside the box a little bit to to make things work, whereas perhaps if this hadn't happened, we wouldn't be doing that. And, and you're right, some, some kids uh, flourish in an online environment. They've never had that opportunity to this point. Um, but online isn't, isn't for everybody sure. either. So, you know, maybe the big thing that comes out of this is let's sort of, uh, you know, tailor an educational experience to, to the, individual, uh, the individual kid. And it's, it's the same at the college level as well. You know, I mean, there's been lots of talk about an online, in-person hybrid, and maybe that would work in, in any environment, not just, a, you know, a COVID environment. So, you know, there might, there might be quite a few changes to the education system that come out, that come out of all this mess. Come, a lot, come out stronger for sure. Yeah. Uh, what's your uh, proudest accomplishment as a coach? Um, probably, uh, when the men's team got to the final four in, uh, in 2003, I mean, that, that's kind of an easy one to pick out just because in terms of success, that, that was probably it. Well, it was our biggest success. Um, we have had better teams actually. There was a team a couple of years ago, which, uh, wasn't as successful on paper in that they didn't make the NCA playoffs. Um, but the team in 2003, uh, did and it was kind of an interesting team because it's uh, we probably underachieved a little bit during the regular season. Um, you know, we were something like nine, nine, five, and a four going into the playoffs, so it wasn't a fantastic record, but it was a, a you know a, a team that kind of did the things they needed to do at the at the right time. And then once they actually got into the playoffs, then they kind of hit their hit their peak, uh, played up to their potential. We went, you know, all the way to the to the final four, which was a fantastic achievement because there's a lot of good teams out there, a lot of good programs that never never get that far. You know, you have to have a lot of things go right for you. And as I say, it's kind of interesting because regular season, the, the things didn't necessarily go right for us. We We were kind of, you know, just maybe a little bit above average. And then everything kind of clicked when we got into the playoffs. So I would say in terms of, you know, like on-field success, that was, that was probably definitely the, the highlight. Yeah, it's, it's not, uh, it's where you end up. It's not, it's not, it's not a sprint, you know. Yeah, I remember uh, Dave, Dave Walbacher was, uh, 
had a losing record and qualified for nationals his freshman year and the All-American. Yeah. Because he got hot and he got hot at the right time. And just because your record is such during the regular season doesn't mean that maybe that the focus wasn't as dialed in as, as it was when it just, it's all preparation till the, till the finals. Right. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so what do you do outside of coaching? What's some hobbies that you have outside of what you do? Well, I like, like to travel. I haven't had a lot of opportunity to, to do that, but I like to, I like to go to different places and I, and I kind of use soccer as a, a vehicle a lot of times to do that because I, I like to go and watch uh, tournaments like the world cup, the European championships. And, uh, so that gets me to other places. So I use, use soccer as the way to get there. I'll see a few few games. But, uh, you know, more than anything, I'm looking at a, another country, getting a taste of another culture, seeing the sights. Um, so that's probably the big thing. I like, like listening to music. I like to, I like to read. Um, these days I'm doing a lot more work out in the yard. I, I don't know if, if that's the, the case for you, but yeah. you know, I kind of stuck at home for a lot. You have to, sure. you have to get a little bit, a little bit creative. So, um, yeah, travel, travel's probably the big thing. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get a, get away, do a trip this year because everything's still fairly, fairly closed down. I mean, there's lots of places to visit in the United States, but, uh, you know, I like to, get abroad as well do do a little bit of everything what was what was one of the craziest venues you were ever at for a soccer event was was it during a world cup event or something um well i've been to a lot of different places I, I was in i was in russia two years ago for the world cup there and i really enjoyed russia because um you know there was a lot of negative press people were saying you know well if you're a westerner don't go there it's not it's not going to be safe and i guess my my experience is any any event, um, you know, a national event, a regional event, the security is going to be really ramped up because the host country wants everybody to have a good time. They want to want them to come away with a positive experience. So I'd heard a lot of negatives, but when I went to Russia, it's a fantastic place. I was expecting some somewhere kind of very dull, grey, cold, and it was... Uh, it was exactly the opposite. Very colourful. The people were really friendly. It's like it's like anything. People want to show their place, whether it's their house, their block, their neighbourhood, their country. They want to show it in the best possible light. So the people were really friendly, um, and I, I had a fantastic time there. Yeah, I mean the, the the soccer was great. It was the first World Cup in a number of years that that the US didn't make it. And uh, that often makes a difference because the U.S. sends the most people to, to the World Cup of any other country. You know, so they, even when they're not in it, there were still Americans, even though the U.S. national team wasn't, wasn't there. So I was meeting people from, you know, from all over the place, from Ohio and, you know, everywhere. So it was, yeah, it was, it was great. Was that your first time to Russia then? Yeah, never been to Russia before. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an in- interesting interesting place i mean it's a huge place so I, I went to some of the biggest cities like you know like moscow and st petersburg and st petersburg is is beautiful it's you know right along a, a river the the architecture's uh, great um and you know most people in in, in bigger cities they speak a little bit of uh, of english you know because they're geared towards the tourists and english is the the biggest language for tourism so um yeah, really enjoyed it. Great, great history there. The people were really friendly, and then you just you know you meet other you meet other people. You meet people from 
as I say, people from Ohio and you know states out in the in the US. So you know you're always always getting people's different perspectives on on other countries. Yeah. Hey, what's the? Do you have a like a memorable player, like your favorite player that in all these 32 years? Could you pick out one that just jumps out at you that you're like, man, this guy was or this gal? Um, yeah, I mean, lot, lots, lots of lots of good players, lots of interesting players, lots of people I still keep in contact, lots of people who you know get in contact with me from time to time. Um, I, I guess I'd have, I'd have to pick Luis Cortels. A lot of people are going to be unhappy that I'm picking Luis Cortels. He's, he's one of those guys who <coughs> kind of polarizes you. He was someone who is teammates either loved or hate most of them hated him at, at the time but he was a he was a top player he was he was really driven um he became an all-american he's the only all-american uh that we've had for for men's soccer um and he was uh, yeah he was just a really driven player he was from spain originally um had a, a nose for goal so he could he could finish chances which in in soccer is the currency of, of the game, you know, because you don't, there aren't a lot of goals scored in soccer. So if you're the guy that can put the ball in the back of a net, that is something that is extremely uh, valuable, you know. So like sports like basketball, for example, most sports, you, there's a lot of points that are, that are scored. Um, but in soccer, you know, one goal can be the, can be the game. So Luis was great, a great goal scorer. He was... Uh, you know, very competitive. You know, a lot of the reason the players didn't like him is at times he took it too seriously. You know, he he had a professional's mentality. Um, and at this level, you know, we try and preach, well, even though most of you aren't going to be able to make a living from soccer, we want you to have the, the professional mentality, do the little things that make a difference, be on time, work hard all the time, etc., etc. <coughs> probably what most coaches... Uh, preach Luis actually actually did it he was like on all the time and um, you know as I say it, it would upset some of his teammates from time to time they would not want him to work so hard because it kind of it showed them up there were times when they wanted a breather and uh, he was never willing to give them a, a breather um, but scored a lot of goals for us um, was inducted into the, the Hall of Fame here at the University of Finlay was inducted into our Wall of Fame uh, which we have out at the soccer field. Um, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say you know he was necessarily our best player because it's very very difficult to say someone is is best because um, you know different positions have different different qualities. But uh, you know if you're looking at an interesting guy, <coughs> a personality, someone who did a lot of good for the program, I'd probably if I had to pick out pick out one player, it would be him. Um, I, know putting, I know that's putting you out there because you, you've had a, a ton of great players, but obviously the uh, the results prove for themselves. And, and if right. he's all American and he's in the Hall of Fame, and I mean it, that's that's proof right there. Sure. But uh, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up here. We're gonna ask a couple final closing questions and then get on with the day. Uh, what have you done? You think to stand out in uh, in business and in life? Uh, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough, tough 
you put me on the spot, Jerry. I didn't expect a, a big philosophical question like that. No, I mean, um, I, I, got an idea. I got some ideas, but I'm not going to share them. Well, I think I've, um, over the years, I think if you're in coaching, well, I think in, 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 life, in life as well, um, you're learning all the time. Um, I think I'm a better coach now than, than I used to be. And it's probably more of a challenge for me now because, you know, a big part of coaching, um, leadership, education is, uh, is, is dealing with people, man, man managing people. And I think it has become more of a challenge as you get older. And I think it's generally the same, you know, for, for everybody. Uh, when I started coaching, I was working with uh, guys who I was, you know, a few years older than, but not that much older than. It was a lot easier to uh, to relate to them. You know, as you get older, I think it becomes more of a more of a challenge. They're a different generation. There's a lot of things that they do that I can't relate to. I'm sure there's a lot of things that I do they can't. To have a, a good assistant, um, and I've had good assistants over the years who have been younger and have been, you know, the same generation can relate to the guys. Um, so I think I've had to develop as a as a person to be able to figure out how to how to make things work, how to you know maximise that um, that that relationship, and you know maybe go outside my comfort zone to be able to relate to, to younger kids. And I'm sure there's been periods of time when you know I haven't done as good a a job of that. As I say, as you get older, I think it becomes a little bit more of a a challenge. Um, so I developed this, this uh, sandwich technique when I was coaching wrestling, and um, maybe you can agree with me, maybe not. But um, when I first started coaching or when I was playing in wrestling, um, if, if my coach told me I couldn't do something, I was going to prove him wrong. You know, I was just – I would press and work and train to, to prove them wrong. Right. But now what I've found through the evolution of time was – a lot of these youth, and I was at the high school level. I wasn't at the college level. Usually college athletes are driven. Um, but these kids, if you told them that, then they would just, I'm going to go find something else. You know, they would, they would not step up to the challenge. So the sandwich technique is what I developed is it, you, you compliment, you redirect, and you compliment. So then they receive the information. And that's how I started to adapt my coaching because there were certain kids you could, you could push their buttons and motivate them, but for the most part, that was just what I had to do to evolve as a coach. And listening to you, you know, you recognize the fact that in the younger years, yeah, I can I can hang with these guys, I can play with these guys because I'm not that much older than them. But as time went on, and I did the same thing, I, I would grab a University of Finley wrestler that was redshirted or, or not wrestling anymore and have him as my assistant coach because they could run the room. I would still oversee and facilitate and do certain things, but for the most part, they were running the practice. Right. That's that's just an evolution of a of a smart coach and sure. think to what's going on. Well, let me let me let me throw a question back to you. Let me put you on the spot a little bit. So, how would you would you treat your athletes uh, differently? You know, like if you say using that sandwich technique, some guys may be a little bit more self motivated than others. Some guys are gonna you know take the redirect. Some guys maybe are gonna be a little bit stubborn and are not. Uh, and they're not going to take your, you know, your directions, even when you're throwing in the compliments as well. Would you treat your athletes differently depending on the personality of the athlete? Absolutely. I think you have to. 
you can't like you you mentioned earlier like a cookie cutter we can't we can't do education like a cookie cutter anymore it's the same same model you can't you gotta you gotta understand um <clears throat> you can't motivate people they have to motivate themselves you can coach them you can inspire them you can encourage them you can educate them but you can't motivate them they have to motivate themselves and that that motivation is different for everybody you know, right. some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by success. Some people are motivated by pats on the back and words of encouragement. You know, it just depends on, you got to figure out what, what buttons that motivate this individual right. to get the most out of them as a coach. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest skill as a coach, a skill which I'm still, still working on. I think, you, you know, you're constantly uh, learning, not, you know, not just as a, an athlete, but also as a, as a coach and I think you're right if you can figure out which buttons to to push in other words you got to understand your your athletes then um that that is a big a big part of it it's a kind of a natural skill you know some people are really good at it some people like myself have to kind of learn um along the way have to kind of really try and figure out what makes a makes an athlete tick in order to to get the most out of them as as a coach so well, there's a difference too between a leader and a boss, you know, or a leader and a coach. You know, you're, you're leading by example, you're showing, and, and then they see, you know, but if you're just out there dictating what's supposed to happen, um, you can lose people because they're like, oh, all this guy does is tell us what to do. What, what has he ever done? Yeah. That kind of stuff. And yeah. so there's definitely a balance in there. What's, hey, what's the best advice you ever received? Well, actually, I was, I was thinking about this the other day, and it, was, it, was, um, it would be advice I, I learned from my dad one time. Um, and uh, he was out, and he had overheard somebody that knew me, like, talking bad about me. I can't exactly remember what, what it was. Um, but what he said to me was, look, you know, you, ultimately, you have to be your own person so don't worry about what this what this kid said about you you know because you can be a perfect person some people aren't gonna like you um so the, the key is to be to be true to yourself do your own thing don't worry about what other people think and that, that, that's that's good uh good good life advice so that, that would probably be the thing i would i would take away yep yep that's great that's great advice so last question and then we'll wrap up how do you want to be remembered? Um, well, I want to, I guess I want to be remembered as a difference, a difference maker. So, you know, I'll, I'll have guys come back. You probably had the same thing. Guys come back and, and say, um, you know what? I didn't really get it at the time, but, uh, you know, you, you pushed me, you, you made me do things I didn't want to do. You helped me achieve my, my potential. Um, you know, most guys don't really get it at the time. Occasionally, there are there are some, but uh, you know, I think as a coach, you're in an influential position. I would like to think that I helps um, the players that I've coached become better people. Not not necessarily just better soccer players. I like to assume that you know everybody that comes through the program, or ninety percent of the guys that come through the program, become better players. But I think. I would like them to think, but also I, you know, pushed them beyond what they thought they were capable of doing and they became, you know, the best people that they, they could be. So that, that would be 
what I would like to be my, my legacy, if you like. Yeah, and I think if you had an opportunity to interview all your players, they probably would echo that. That's really a great testament to you and what you've yeah, done. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, 90% still good, though. Yeah, not bad. Can't, yeah. can't make everybody happy. Yeah. All right. Hey, this wraps up the show for today. I'd like to thank Andy Smith uh, for joining us. And uh, tune in next week. We're going to have Pablo Castro, blast from the past, uh, former University of Finley uh, wrestler, as well as the uh, owner of Strong Style Jiu-Jitsu in Cleveland. And he is currently um, training Stipe Miocic, who is the um, – number one contender in the UFC for the heavyweight division. So remember, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. See you next time.